You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show today. Pleased to have on the phone lines right now from ESPN, Eric Moody. And Eric, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. We definitely appreciate you. And I caught attention of a a tweet that you put out yesterday about Darren Waller saying it's going to be the Rob Gronkowski treatment for Darren Waller in 2022 with Josh McDaniels. It's like no one even cares. When you put out that tweet, Eric, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, it's funny that you saw that tweet on uh, on Waller. And so I, I think with Darren Waller, though, I'm like he's been, you know, he's had a lot of success, you know, at the NFL level. But it was really telling where I read some news and I made note of this that Waller was like, you know what, when John Gruden was here. They didn't really have any packages for me in the red zone. And, and that was shocking, especially when you look at the physicality that he brings to the table, you know, his athleticism. And so I know that's something that Josh McDaniels uh, will want to leverage quite a bit, in addition to the other playmakers that they have on the roster now. And I, that's what led to that tweet where I feel like that he could get the Rob Gronkowski treatment and really be leveraged and maximized by this Raiders team. It really feels like that, right? And then, of course, Devontae Adams is the big acquisition that the Raiders make. And Josh McDaniels himself as a really good elite play caller, in my opinion. I think he could just change the game. So as far as Derek Carr, I mean, he threw for 4,800 yards last year, Eric. And so what do you think that his kind of trajectory is for this year, knowing all the weapons he has around him? Yeah, with Carr, yeah, I think he's someone that's criminally underrated, I would say. And to your point, I know he threw a career high, was it 4,804 mm-hmm. uh, passing yards, and I could easily see him replicating that production. I think one area for where Devontae Adams will help and also uh, Darren Waller will be in the red zone right. uh, with passing touchdowns. I know that's an area that he hasn't performed very well in, but with those two players working together and just the mismatches that they create, I think that's something that Carr will be able to improve upon. Now, uh, one other thing, you know, I, n- I notice a lot of people will probably say, well, you know what, Aaron, you know, Aaron Rodgers was throwing the ball to Devontae Adams. Derek Carr, you know, is no uh, Aaron Rodgers. But what I, think is, what I think is very interesting, if you look over the last four seasons, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and Derek Carr are the only quarterbacks who have thrown for 4,000 or more yards in each of the last four seasons. And so it's not that big of a downgrade that people think. That's what we've been trying to tell people, and that's what, you know, the, the conversation. I know Devontae Adams was even trying to say that, and he got, you know, kind of, um, I don't know, I don't want to say raked over the coals, but he kind of was, uh, you know, talked about quite a bit when he said, you know, about the, the, the downgrade or not that much of a downgrade. But I, I think that Derek Carr is very accurate. And for, you know, for Darren Waller and Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro to be successful, that's what they need is a guy that's accurate. And, again, with Josh McDaniels, I think that he's such a big difference maker. How do you – how do you expect Josh McDaniels to kind of push those buttons to get these guys in the right position to succeed? Yeah, I think one thing when you have, like, these different types of playmakers, like you've got Devontae Adams, we mentioned Waller, you know, Hunter Renfro, you know, working from the slot. I'm like, he's excellent at kind of separating from defenders. And so I could just see Josh McDaniels trying to really create as many mismatches as he can. And we haven't even spoken about, like, the running game, right. which will be interesting to see how he uses all those different backs. You know, you got Josh Jacobs that's there. I know they didn't exercise his fifth-year option, but he'll still be involved for this year. But you got Zamir White, Kenyon Drake, and then Amir Abdullah that's kind of uh, emerged, I guess, as the pass, you know, the pass-catching back uh, for them. And so it'll be interesting to see how those backs are deployed. I know it will be a committee. But one thing that's really, really interesting with Carr is that I'm like, 
he really excels like on play action passing. Like last year, I think he had the highest or um, my numbers are off a little bit, but here's the number I want to go to though. So Josh McDaniels. This is the number I was thinking of. My apologies there. It's, it's from twenty twelve to twenty twenty one. Uh you look at Josh McDaniels, obviously with New England, offensive coordinator. New England used play action at the eighth highest rate. So I think that's something that will translate in twenty twenty two uh, with Derek Carr, because he did excel quite a bit on play action. My memory, I cannot remember the exact number, but it was in the upper echelon of the league. <laughs> that's a good nugget, though. No, that's a really good nugget. That's why we have you on the show to drop those kind of gems for us. Again, we're talking with Eric Moody here on NSA Roughness Radio 920. And, and you mentioned that we hadn't talked about the run game. Josh Jacobs has never been able to run with a box that was clean, right? I mean, he's always had a loaded box with all the weapons on the outside and Hunter Renfro and, you know, er- everywhere that Derek Carr could throw the ball to beat you. How, how much easier, uh, I guess easy is the wrong word, but how much better do you think the run game will be when the box isn't loaded like it normally is? Yeah, no, I think it is definitely going to benefit the running game. I, I'm sure a lot of fantasy football players out there are wondering, I'm like, you know, there's someone that's going to get a uh, the lion's share of the uh, you know of the touches in the backfield, and I just think they're going to get uh, all the different backs involved. But I do see them throwing a little bit more, especially with being in the AFC West. That's going to be a high flying division. You've got Russell Wilson uh, with Denver now. Of course, you got the Raiders there, and their upgrades. And you've got Kansas City. You know, Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes, and of course, you've got the Los Angeles Chargers with Justin Herbert and kind of his ascension, and so. I just think they're going to have to lean even more like on the passing game as they get into these shootouts, and particularly in their division game. You know, you mentioned Kansas City and, and Patrick Holmes still being Patrick Mahomes. Uh, how do you think that that, that offense looks uh, without Tyreek Hill, knowing Andy Reid is an elite play caller as well? Yeah, and you mentioned Andy Reid, and you know, he has a very creative offensive mind, and so I just think it'll be a scenario for where, you know, Travis Kelsey obviously get his target share, but then they're going to get the other um, the other wide receivers involved. And even when you look at, like, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think that's a really underrated uh, finding, like, this offseason. Because you look at, at Patrick Mahomes, and, like, he leads all quarterbacks over the last two seasons in slot wide receiver targets. And we all know that Juju had, you know, his most success when he was operating primarily from the slot. And he was able to do what he was able to do in Pittsburgh, you know, with Ben Roethlisberger towards the tail end of his career, but now he's got Patrick Mahomes in his prime at his at the peak of his powers, and so I think it's a chance for where if you look at all the wide receivers that Juju ends up having the most targets, and I think he'll be slightly under Travis Kelsey, but I think he'll end up being actively involved. So, to be candid, I just don't think that KC is going to you know drop you know drop that many beats, so to speak. Right. Now, there's a lot of uh, people that are questioning what it's going to look like. I'm wondering what it's going to look like, but I do realize Andy Reid is there. Patrick Mahomes is still there. So I do think that their offense is going to be really good. And, uh, of course, the AFC West is going to be a massive challenge each and every week. Again, we're talking with Eric Moody here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. want to go back to the Raiders and their offensive line. That's been something that we've been talking about a ton here on the show and the questions. How concerned are you with the Raiders' uh, offensive line as it currently stands? Yeah, they, they do have some holes uh, on the offensive line and on the defense as well. Uh, it's not ideal, but I don't think it'll end up slowing down uh, this Raiders offense. And one thing with having like an experienced you know, coach and offensive line like Joshua Daniels, it's some blocking schemes and things that you can do, even with getting the running back more involved with blocking, to uh, cover up some of those holes so they don't really become like a liability. 
All right, Eric, I've got to ask you something because you had a tweet, and it's something that I'm not very familiar with, the zero running back strategy when it comes to fantasy football. I Could thought you were about to ask about Pizza Hut. Oh. <laughs> no. I mean, we can talk about Pizza Hut, too, but I wanted to ask some fantasy football questions. So could you break that down a little bit for me, that zero running back strategy in fantasy? Yes, I can. It's, uh, it's, it's a popular strategy, you know, the zero running back strategy. It was, um, it was uh, created by uh, Sean Siegel. Uh, over at uh, Rotoviz, but I'll kind of walk you through the strategy. So, th- the gist of the strategy is that in the high leverage rounds of a fantasy football draft, to focus on gathering, you know, very elite pass catchers, wide receivers, and a tight end in the first five rounds. And then what you want to do uh, after that is focus on running backs that are in committees, ideally pass catching backs, but running backs who can ultimately. If you know if something happened to the to the starter, whether it was underperformance or you know, God forbid, like an injury for they missed significant time, that other running back that you picked up in the later rounds can ultimately end up filling you know, filling the void. And so I'm just thinking of average draft position off the top of my head, and on some of these uh, you know zero running back candidates uh, for for this year. You know, think of someone like uh, Kareem Hunt. You know, that's like an example. You know, if something happened to Nick Chubb. You know, the Browns lean heavily on the running game. Then he would end up. Uh, you know, getting a huge, you know, opportunity share. You know, Dalvin Cook in Minnesota, you know, something happens to him. Alexander Madison has proved to be a very, you know, very good fill-in, you know, if something were to happen to him. And, you know, those are the type of running backs that you ultimately want to target with that strategy. I'll kind of give you one more and pass it back to you. Uh, you think of the Chicago Bears. You know, you've got uh, David Montgomery that's there. He's gotten a high number of touches per game over the last two seasons. But you've got Khalil Herbert that's there that performed very well when Montgomery was out last year. So if Montgomery missed time, then Khalil Herbert someone that could come in and fill the void and ultimately be a difference maker for your fantasy team. So that's ultimately how that strategy uh, works. And I've got some threads on Twitter for those that are listening. You know, Come follow me on Twitter at Eric N. Moody. But I kind of outlined the strategy in more detail there if it is something that you're open to uh, executing in drafts. All right, and for the Raider fans out there that – want to draft their favorite Raider players in the draft, but don't want to reach, where are some of the places that are good to pick, let's say the stars on offense? Like, where's Derek Carr going in the average draft that you've been seeing? Yeah, the one thing with Derek Carr, it's like um, when you look at all the different quarterbacks, I would say, I'm thinking of ESPN's live draft trends, I want to say that he's between the QB 12 and 15 in, in that range, but he's the type of person in fantasy for where, he can easily exceed uh, expectations, and so I'd be very comfortable uh, drafting him as my QB1 or my starting quarterback. Uh, you look at you know wide receiver, obviously Devontae Adams is an elite wide receiver one in fantasy. Um, you know, you're looking at him as like a wide receiver three or four like overall, uh, but he's a great option in the latter part of the first round or early second, depending on how things flow in your draft. Hunter Renfro, I know we talked about him. You know, he's a flex option or wide receiver three. Still going to get a ton of targets. He's someone that I like, especially in points per reception league. Talk about Darren Waller too. Uh, you know, a firmly, you know, a firm tight end one, uh, top fourth position in my opinion. But he is someone that's getting overlooked in drafts, and you know, I really mean that because you look at uh, Travis Kelsey, you've got George Kittle, you've got Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, some of those top names. But since Waller did have a down year. I'm like, he's being overlooked, so he's someone that I like quite a bit, especially if you want to grab a tight end in rounds four or five. 
There you go. There's all the fantasy uh, news that you need right there, DeMond. My man Eric Moody is delivering it to you here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Now, just got a couple more questions for you. Uh, as far as, as, as Josh McDaniels goes, we've talked about him quite a bit, about him just kind of being an X factor and him deciding to leave New England to take this Raiders job. How big was that to you when you saw him make that ultimate decision? I, I, it was really big to me. We all remember he uh, he did take the, the Denver Broncos head coaching job, didn't have a lot of success there, did return back to New England. And so I'm sure that was probably humbling for him to have to you know say, okay, I took a head coaching job, didn't work out, I'm going back to New England. Right. It obviously had success when he was there. But I felt like he was more mature, you know, obviously because he's older, you know, going into this next opportunity. And, you know, he probably gets calls year in and year out for coaching opportunities, but it was a reason you know, why he picked up the phone when the Las Vegas Raiders called. And so I just love the team. You know, great uh, great group of playmakers offensively. Defensively, they have some uh, playmakers on that side of the ball as well. So I felt like it was the best situation for him to succeed. And if you're just looking at it from, you know, whether it's fantasy or even from like a sports betting perspective, I just look at this team and their schedule. I just, I just view them as at least at the floor, like a 10-win team. That's what they should be, right? I mean, they were a 10-win team last season, made the playoffs, and I know this season it's going to be tough only because the AFC West is such – I feel like it's going to be such a juggernaut throughout the course of the year. And, Eric, final question for you. When you look at the AFC mm-hmm. West, what do you think? I mean, how do, how do you kind of rank these teams right now? I know it's only August. It has not been one game played oh. officially. But how do you look at the AFC West right now? Oh, that that's tough. I think about this. I think about this often, but – I. I, re- I really like the Denver Broncos with um, you know the, the offense that they have that they're going to run um, you know with the new regime. But Russell Wilson there is huge for that team with the playmakers you know that they have, and so it, it, it's really tough. But the way I see it kind of playing out, I can see Denver one, uh, Las Vegas two, and you know Kansas City three, and the Chargers four. And that's really a difficult question because I think all those teams are excellent, but. I think it's going to come down to a number of uh, number, you know, a high number of close games, right. which could turn the swing the pendulum back, you know, on any right. on any week, right? Right. Well, you know, it's so funny because any time that we talk about how the AFC West could be ranked, I feel like you could take whatever ranking I say and flip it upside down, and you'd still be right because I think it's going to be, you know what I mean? It just feels like the division is going to be that close. So uh, even when it's the fourth-place team, they might not be very far off, right? They're not, they might not be a yeah. very low fourth. I think this is just going to be a tight race throughout the course of the year. Yeah. Up there, and you're looking at a high number of teams in this division that can easily like make the playoffs. So looking at right. Right, exactly. Well, Eric, we definitely appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, great work with the fantasy football as well. You got anything coming out that we need to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I've got some uh, some columns over at ESPN that I encourage everyone to check out. You know, I do have an article uh, that highlights, uh, you know, my you know essentially like a my guys article. You know, a list of players at every position that. I aggressively target and draft, and one of them is uh, Derek Carr. And I've got another article that was published here recently. It was uh, last week, or early this week, excuse me, on late-round fantasy draft targets, players that you should target uh, in the double-digit rounds of your draft. But I also have a column that's published every weekday uh, called the Fantasy Football Daily Notes, and it's essentially designed for someone that, you know, maybe at work, may have family responsibilities, that really cannot keep up with all the NFL news. And it's a nice quick synopsis of six to eight stories that you should know about just to kind of stay on top of things for fantasy. So I would encourage everyone listening to check those out.
No doubt about it. We'll do it. definitely do that. I'll do it myself uh, for sure. So, Eric, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Appreciate you hopping on in uh, late notice. But uh, great stuff, my man, and we look forward to talking to you down the line. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, thanks for the uh, invite. I'm glad we're able to connect. And uh, until next time. Absolutely. Appreciate you, my man. There he goes. Eric Moody from ESPN on Twitter at Eric and Moody. Great stuff right there. Great questions, fantasy football-wise. Damon, definitely appreciate your efforts as well. 317 is the time. We'll come back. we got about 15,000 text messages to get to, so we'll do it, and we'll do it next on Radio Nation Radio 920. It's Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Coming up at 3.30, Mick Akers from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He'll join us to talk the business side of everything going on here in Las Vegas with the Raiders, the Legion Stadium, and whatnot. Talk a little Sandra Douglas Morgan as well. Mick Akers will join us at 3.30. We just finished wrapping up with uh, Eric Moody from ESPN, giving you a lot of insight on the Raiders' offense. He also does fantasy football, does a fantastic job. Check him out on Twitter, at Eric N. Moody. And uh, with us here on Unnecessary Roughness. Got a ton of text messages I wanted to get to. 69187, keyword R&R. Talking about storylines. What is the best storyline from camp so far? That's the question I threw out there to you. But you could always chime in about anything that is on your mind. Jason in Maryland hit us up and said, I know everybody's concerned about the offensive line. We know it's an issue. But we also know that nothing has been set yet as far as starters. And I think we have to take them at their word of saying that they're still trying to figure it out. At what point do you give the staff the benefit of the doubt? Or at least until week one, because we probably won't know anything until week one. New England never had a porous O-line, no matter what names was back there. So my question is, at what point do you just trust the coaches that they'll have the line ready? That's from Jason in Maryland. I trust the coaches 100%. <clears throat> I do. <laughs> I've, I've been very high on the coaching staff. Uh, I know that the special teams, I still have a little bit of questions about, uh, you know, about them. But I, I, I trust what Josh McDaniel says. I trust what Coach Brasillo says. Uh, I, I think that, and this is the only reason I say I'd like to see see it improved and, and kind of have a, a clear-cut feeling. Like, we talked to Vic Tafer earlier today, and he feels like, what, the the right guard and the right tackle positions are still up for grabs. My my big thing is the offensive line is just that, that one element of a football team that you just want to see as a cohesive unit more than you don't, right? I mean, it's it's you're going into preseason game number three. Luckily, you have an extra preseason game. You have four preseason ones this year. So that's a good thing. I just think that they need to come up with who the starting five is going to be sooner rather than later. And I think that the injury to Thayer Mumford, even though I don't know uh, how serious it is, it might not be serious at all. Hell, we might see him play tomorrow. I think that that might have helped or might have slowed down things, the process, just a little bit. But, no, I, I'm, I'm with you, Jason. I, I totally – trust the coaching staff they've they've done nothing to, to prove that we shouldn't trust them right but it doesn't mean that it's not a concern <laughs> right I mean I trust my own ability to drive a car but don't mean that I'm not concerned when I get out on the road especially here in Vegas <laughs> you know what I mean uh, so there's there's that and, and you know when you look at the AFC West this is the other thing that I've said about the AFC West for a while I think the division winner is going to be the team with the best book in offensive tackles because every single team in the AFC West has guys that can get after the quarterback. And, and with that being said, every single team in the AFC West also has uh, question marks on the offensive line. So, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, it's, it's, like a, it's like everyone's got the same strength and the same weaknesses. Strengths are that they have guys that can get to the quarterback. Weaknesses, they might not have the best guys protecting the quarterback. So it's just going to be one of those, we'll see how it all shakes out. But that was a great text, my man. I definitely appreciate you. 
Uh, Robin Oakland just hit us and said, my storyline, Josh McDaniels slashed and burned the Denver roster, and he, he inherited and got involved in a videotaping scandal. He didn't seem to respect people in that organization, approached media like enemies. His team quit on him, and he got fired. I see a very humbled, almost scared coach that now appears at peace with himself. Oh, excuse me, scarred coach uh, that now appears at peace with himself and comfortable with the position of being a head coach. He's more personable and respectful and liked by his team. The story of a second chance of redemption is the most Raider story ever. Just win. That's from Robin Oakland. Fantastic. That is a, uh, that's one that I didn't even think of at all, right? And, and I've talked about Josh McDaniels, but I talked about him embracing uh, being a Raider. But, yeah, the second time around, and, and a lot of people talked about the second time around, right, including with Bill Belichick. You know, it didn't work out the first time around when he was the head coach. The second time, fantastic. There's other coaches that have figured it out the second time. The first time is not always easy. And I, I, that goes with a lot of things, right? You know, my first full-time job in radio didn't work out too well. Right? I'll, just, I'll be 100% honest with you. It didn't work out that well. Next time, I had a better idea what was going on. So it worked out fine. But it's just it's, it's, that's what it is sometimes. The second time around is the better time around. And a nice little story of redemption right there. So, Rob, thank you so much for that text. I appreciate you. Uh, we got another text from, uh, let's see, hold on. Glenn in San Jose. What up, Q and DeMond? For me, the hiring of Sandra Douglas Morgan was a key point. You don't hear any nonsense about the front office since she's arrived, and the focus is finally and strictly on the team. Just a great hire for the Raiders. I think she's going to be a fantastic hire. I, I, I think she is a fantastic hire. Excuse me. I think she's going to do some really good things for the organization. My only question is, is she going to be around for the long haul? Right? Because she just looks like someone to me that could be, you know, like a senator somewhere. I think Adam Hills brought that up a few times. You know, she's only going to be around a couple years before she becomes a senator. I mean, that's, that's just how highly regarded she is. So it's not that I don't think she's going to be around for a long time because of, you know, some failure or anything. I think she's just too good, right? We've talked about it multiple times. She's probably overqualified for the job, you know? And so uh, I hope she sticks around for the long haul. Hell, I hope she's around 20 years, <laughs> right, just to keep everything intact. But I wouldn't be shocked if, if one day she's, you know, running for office or she's doing I, – I just – I wouldn't be surprised at all. She's that highly regarded. So with that being said, you know – and matter of fact, we'll ask Mick Akers. We're going to – he's going to join us next. We'll ask him what he thinks. But, yeah, she's, she's, a, she's definitely a good one. A great hire by Mark Davis. And, like I said, most likely actually overqualified for the job. Um. Got a text from the 408. No name on it, but just a text from the 408. Saw a video of Mack at the Chargers practice. He had their uh, starting left tackle on skates straight beasting. So we need to figure out this right tackle spot because I don't think the answer is on the roster. Uh, there you go. You know, like I mentioned earlier, the the, um, the the pass rushers for these other teams, man, they're they're good. They're really good. Obviously, Khalil Mack, everyone knows him uh, really well. I don't think it's the Khalil Mack that won Defensive Player of the Year that the Chargers are getting, but I still think it's a really good Khalil Mack, right? He's still really good. And then he has Joey Bosa out there, and the only issue with those two guys are can they stay healthy? You know, we've seen Bosa injured quite a bit, and, and Khalil Mack, his uh, last couple of years in Chicago, you've seen him banged up quite a bit as well. But there, there's that. I, I definitely believe that there's a, um, you know, that, that it's going to be tough, man. These guys are going to get to the quarterback, and they're going to get to the quarterback in a major way. Let's see. Still going through these texts. Uh, let's see. Got Geese Mode already. Sir Whiskey Ray got that one. Glenn, we just got this one. Oh, how about this one? Rich in Oakland said, losing the playoff game in Cincinnati was a blessing in disguise. We ended up getting McDaniels and Ziegler because of it. And I hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, this, 
I think there's a lot of people that have thought about how the Raiders ended up with Joshua Daniels and Dave Ziegler and a new regime in general and think that there's a lot of things that may have happened that you don't really necessarily like the way everything shook out. But I think some people could look at things and say, you know what? There was a, a couple blessings in disguise that happened along the way, and now the the new regime for the Raiders is, is going in a direction that everyone's pretty pleased about. At least that's what I think. So uh, thank you so much for that text. Again, that was from Rich in Oakland. Now joining us on the phone lines from the Las Vegas Review-Journal is our good friend Mick Akers. And, Mick, thanks for your time this afternoon. Appreciate you. Wanted to have you on to talk about a bunch of different subjects, including Marcel Reese. Seems like he's just continuing to grow his name and grow his uh, titles within the Raiders organization. What's the latest title for Marcel Reese, and what exactly does it entail? Yeah, so obviously he's had a couple you know, changes here in the last few months. Uh, right now, the latest one is Senior Vice President, uh, Chief Strategy Officer. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of working behind the scenes with uh, the management, kind of developing uh, business goals and ideas and maybe, you know, some strategies of how to b- go about reaching those goals. Uh, some of his other ones before this, his other titles like Chief People Officer and such, were more kind of working with the, the, you know, the employees themselves and kind of listening to their thoughts and, you know, developing it that way. Well, this one's kind of the back of the house, and it's working more with, you know, executive branch there. You know, it's funny. I was reading an article that was a 40 under 40, and I think The Athletic had put it out, and they talked about Marcel Reese as one of the guys to watch out for is, as, like you said, guys in the back in the back of the, of the scenes, but they're putting in a lot of work. It seems like he's really kind of climbing the ladder pretty quickly for himself. What are your thoughts on that? You know, obviously, uh, Mark Davis had, you know, some admiration for him, bringing him in, you know, as his assistant at first, and then he kind of made his way from there. Uh, he, You know, he showed up. He, he goes to a bunch of, you know, community events, charity events and such. He shows his face a lot. He's kind of making his rounds around the city, uh, you know, making it known, hey, I'm here. And, you know, I'm not just sitting in the office here. So, you know, he, he's putting the work in. Obviously, it's paying off. And with Mark Davis having that trust in him, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's not really all surprising to see him, you know, making this leap here. Talking right now with Mick Akers here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. We just had a text message about a storyline, and that's what we've been talking about throughout the course of the show, is storylines. And the storyline was the hiring of Sandra Douglas Morgan as the president because, well, it just seems like she's gotten everything in order. And I know she hasn't been in that position for a long time, but, uh, Mick, it seems like there's kind of a sense of calm when it comes to Sandra Douglas Morgan being the president of the Raiders. I know you've had a couple opportunities to talk to her. You're on a call with her yesterday. Uh, what, were your, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the president? Yeah, so, you know, she, she's she been there for about five weeks. She said everyone's kind of been, you know, very welcoming, coming up there, up to her, you know, giving them her, you know, some of the ins and outs of what's going on there. And she's, you know, she said, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to it. So, you know, there was reported issues within the organization. She seems to kind of be spearheading, you know, addressing those. And she said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, take it lightly that, you know, the position I, I am as a woman, obviously, uh, first black woman uh, president, you know, NFL history, obviously she's not, you know, looking that over, but she, she's been in positions of power before with big organizations. So it's nothing new to her. She's just kind of doing what she did at other organizations, but now at the Raiders, obviously with a little bit more spotlight on her. You know, and it seems like, and, and I remember when she was announced as a president and everyone, including myself, was doing a little bit of research trying to get some info and some, some you know, some backstory on her. It seemed like there was nobody in town that had a bad word to say about her, right? I just, I felt like that was a, a great hire by Mark Davis. And, and she, like you said, has been at the top of really big time organizations, uh, not just the Raiders. And so she's clearly right for the job, in my opinion. 
she almost feels like she might be even overqualified for this job, Mick. Yeah, you know, obviously um, she has the ties with the casino industry. She's a lifelong Las Vegan, uh, so she has, you know, ties from being here her whole life. Uh, so just with the Raiders being pretty new here in town and, you know, they, they had a you know good relationship with a lot of the they had people here anyway just from making all the meetings and getting the public money and all that. So they had, you know, FaceTime with all the, the major players in town anyway. But just bringing her on, you know, kind of strengthens those relationships. And it's just, you know, it's, it, I think it's a great match. So what was the stadium authority call like that she was on that you, you know, I saw a couple of tweets that you had put out about the stadium authority call. Uh, what was that about? What did that entail? Yeah, just the, the latest, um, you know, they have them – about every quarter now, they used to have them every month back when the stadium was getting built. But uh, so just kind of give updates on what's going on with you know some of the room tax, some of the project funding, if there's any kind of you know work being done on the stadium, any kind of future stuff like that. So you know they kind of hinted at the room tax. Uh, the last four months that's you know listed on there, it's, they have it up till June. Uh, those have all been over 2019 room tax members. So you know it's, you're looking at. 5 million a couple times and then 4.5 million and 4.8 million. So obviously, you know, uh, this mechanism to pay back the $750 million in public uh, money is, you know, paying off. Obviously some people were worried during the pandemic when they had to dip into the, the reserve account a couple times to make the, the twice annual bond payments for the stadium. Uh, since then they've actually put money back into that fund and it's going to be near uh, full, uh, I would say sometime next year around this time. So, you know, obviously, um, some of those uh, worries by some of the fans and stuff can kind of be calm there. Obviously, uh, it's, it's doing its thing. And as long as there's no more pandemic uh, coming through and shutting Vegas down, uh, I think it's going to be all right. Mick Akers is our guest right now here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man Demond's got one for you. Yeah, Mick, as a local, I know that people were a little upset with that debt reserve fund, but talk to me like I'm five. Can mm-hmm. you explain exactly what it means and why some people <laughs> were upset about it? Well, I don't know if they're upset about it, but here it's like uh, so like when they set up the stadium funding and the public money, they wanted to have you know some security, like um, you know have some security in case something happened, like a pandemic. Obviously, no one foresaw that happening, but um, usually in large projects like this, they'll have like a one-year reserve fund where say if you had no money coming in for an entire year, you could still make the bond payments and be okay. So on this one, Cicel, uh, Governor Sisolak, he was a commissioner, county commissioner at the time, uh, thought, hey, we should uh put two years on this because, um, you know, this, just to be extra sh- safe on that. So it's going to end up being about $90 million uh, where, you know, if they didn't have any money in room tax coming in for two full years that they can um, make these bond payments. And th- and it's an average um, amount of annual payment from up for the, the 30 or so odd years it's going to be going on. So uh, each year it's going to go up just a little bit. Uh, so they average that out. So, uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, it's a smart thing to have in place with some of the, the public money in, you know, in play here. So, um, you know, I don't know if people were upset. I, I think they were just kind of worried that it wasn't doing its job and that it was going to be depleted before, you know, a couple years into the stadium here. Um, but it, that's not looking like the case any longer. No, it, it really isn't, especially with all the different uses that this stadium is getting and every event that's coming to town. And, you know, that room, that room tax, I mean, that – that if if I'm reading everything correctly, I mean the money that is being generated is well like above and exceeding the expectations that they originally had rolled out. Yeah, so uh, you know, it started in March 2017, so right when they got the stadium going here, then all the talk and you know the renderings and all that came out. So they started collecting it then. 
Uh, since then, you know, it's, it's accumulated $224 million. Uh, that's about two, 2.4% above the, the, what they budgeted back then. Uh, obviously, you know, it caught up to the pandemic low and yeah. now it's, you know, surpassing that. So obviously it's, uh, you know, the stadium also plays a part in that with these large events, you know, it's drawing million, like 1.3 million people, you know, in the last year alone. And that's <laughs> not including, you know, June uh, and July there. So, uh, aside from bringing large events, having the Raiders and all that stuff, it's bringing visitors because they're saying, you know, upwards of about 40% of people at these events actually traveled to Las Vegas to go to the stadium event. So, you know, they originally thought it was going to be around like 27%. So this is a, almost doubling that uh, original estimate. So, you know, it's not just having, you know, these great events in Vegas for the locals, but it's also, you know, drawing people that may not have came here otherwise. Yeah, make an event that's that's going to draw some locals and some people from all around the world. F1 is going to be coming to Vegas. Are there already projections uh, on how much the city is expecting to make when F1 finally comes to Vegas? Yeah, so next year in November, uh, coming here. So uh, obviously, it's it's not like NASCAR. It has a different clientele. These are like uh, mega people behind this. So it's going to be bringing in a ton of wealthy people. They're looking about 170,000 people coming to town for that weekend, and it's estimated indirect draw is going to be about $1 billion. So obviously it's going to be you know, up there on par with the Super Bowl. So this is going to be a major event next year in November, and it's, you know, it's signed right now for three years, but all parties involved are saying, hey, we want to send the permanent fixture in Las Vegas, obviously racing on the strip at night under the lights. You, know, you can't really get that anywhere else. Wow. Yeah, well, what gets any better than that, right? Racing under the lights on the strip. What can go wrong? <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. So we look forward to that. Well, Mick, before we let you go, anytime we have you on, i got to get an update on what's going on with those pesky A's out there in Oakland and their uh, stadium situation and if there's a potential stadium situation here in Las Vegas. So what's the latest and the greatest when it comes to the A's? Yeah, so, you know, the A's brass were here on Tuesday meeting with uh, casino owner Phil Ruffin. Uh, it's the second meeting this month with him. He flew up to Oakland earlier this month and kind of got the talks going again, uh, uh, kind of regarding the site over there on uh, Las Vegas Boulevard and Sahara, the, the festival ground site there. Uh, A's had their eyes on that early on, and they kind of shifted it away. It was more towards the Tropicana in the south end of the Strip. So now they, they have the Trop land still on board, and they have this piece of land up there on the north end of the Strip. The final two sites are looking at. They're kind of, you know, Work, they're negotiating deals with both sides. Uh, I guess you know figuring out what's going to be the best deal for them. Uh, one way, if they deal with the trop, they're you know they're looking at po- potentially having a resort with it. Uh, you know, partnered with Bally's Corp, who owns Tropicana. Uh, if they go in the rough and route, I think they're going to have more of their own little you know mixed use deal. They have about thirty-seven acres of land to work with there. Um, so you know they they still have you know both things going on. They have stuff going on in Oakland. They don't have another meeting in Oakland with the city council until September 20th, hmm. where they're going to review some financial um, information tied to the, the stadium up there. They have the Howard Terminal site, $12 billion mixed-use waterfront project up there. Uh, so, you know, every time I talk to you, I say it's 50-50 still, and, and at this point it's still 50-50 because there's, <laughs> there's too many unknowns in Vegas and in Oakland. Yeah, it seems like it. It seems like there's a whole lot and a lot of unknown, and and who knows how it's going to all shake out. But we'll see it, I guess, sooner rather than later. Uh, One more question for you. How about this MSG Spear at the Venetian uh, and talking about the spinoff and how much money this thing is going to cost? What what can you tell us about the MSG Spear? 
Yeah, so they recently they said today in the earnings call that now it's, they're estimating the cost to be two billion dollars. Obviously, that's the same as Allegiant Stadium. Uh, the sphere is going to be much smaller. Obviously, about eighteen to twenty thousand people, more focused towards you know high end shows and residencies and such. Uh, so not really sports oriented. Uh, they could have an MMA or a boxing match there, but the, the technology inside that stadium is going to be pretty awesome. This side, you know, like haptic floors, so like when you're listening to a, uh, a show or you're watching, you know, some kind of musical or something. Like the floor will move and like shake has like you know the drums hit or some moment in the show happens. So it's like very interactive. So obviously it's you know smaller than Allegiant Stadium. So you, when you see the price tag being on par with a sixty five. The, you know, 60, 65,000 seat arena, uh, it's like, oh, okay, so it seems like a little out of place. But when you look and you see what's going into this arena, you know, it kind of makes sense, especially with the entire outer shell of it can be an LED screen where they can change, you know, the different designs. And it's also like that inside as well. That is insane. What what else could come to Las Vegas? That is insane. But, man, that'll be a hell of a thing to check out. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Mick, we got the, uh, you know, we got Ignite coming, the G League team coming. I feel like the NBA team is right around the corner. Maybe the baseball team's around the corner. Uh, it's never a dull moment here in Las Vegas, is it? <laughs> No, and you forgot MLS. You know, they could oh, yeah. be on the same the same plot of land as the NBA arena and then uh, high speed train station there, Lincoln, uh, LA, and Vegas. So you know, like I said, there's no, no shortage of stuff. You know, talk about sports business wise, but you know, it seems like once one domino falls, the next one's going to fall, and, and you know, therefore after that, so it's just a lot happening here in Vegas at the moment. For sure, I love every minute of it, Mick. What you got coming out on the RJ that we need to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I just uh, had some of the Stadium Authority stuff come out uh, yesterday, if you want to check that out. Um, just my normal uh, Road Warrior column, I also cover transportation. Um, touching on the the boring company Vegas Loop again, uh, and, you know, people ask me, hey, uh, these monsoon rains are causing all this flooding. You know, what kind of impact could that have on these tunnels when they're open? So I kind of touch on that. Um, it'll be in Monday's paper uh, if you want to check that out. Nice. I like it. I'll definitely be paying attention to it. And, yeah, it's been a hell of a summer, right? It's been hot, but it hasn't been as hot as we're used to because of the monsoon and just because it's been a little bit cooler. But, Mick, thank you so much for your time, man. It's always great to catch up with you. You do fantastic work. And I know I see you all around town all the time, so I'm sure I'll see you soon. I appreciate you. All right, man. Thanks a lot. appreciate it. All right, there he goes, Mick Akers from the Las Vegas Review-Journal on Twitter, at Mick Akers. Simple as that. You want to get the business side of just about everything here in town? Mick's got you covered like a uh, uh, like a Jimmy hat, man. Old school Jimmy hat on top of that. Tamon's like, oh, wait, 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 what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Three, 343 is the time. Come on back. Hit some of these text messages. Hit some of these calls. This is Red Nation Radio 920. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. 348 is the time. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we'll hear from Raiders offensive lineman Jermaine Illuminor. Kind of pushed him around a couple times so far in the last couple days. But at 4 o'clock, we're set in stone. We're going to hear from Raiders offensive lineman Jermaine Illuminor. Been asking the question on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187. Also, the Raider Nation listener line, 702-365-9200. What's been the best storyline from camp so far? What have you heard or seen that makes you feel pretty good about the team? Before we hit the phone lines, I wanted to pass on this news about Demarcus Robinson, who was released on Tuesday when the Raiders made their cutdowns from 90 to 85. He has agreed to a deal with uh, the Baltimore Ravens. So now he's going to be in Baltimore. He's going to be a new wide receiver for one Lamar Jackson. So I mentioned it on uh, on Tuesday when they made the move. I put it out on Twitter when I saw it from uh, Ian Rappaport. I said the Raiders did him a solid by – 
going ahead and releasing them early. They didn't know if he was going to stick around. They didn't think he was going to stick around. They released him early, give him an opportunity to go latch on with the team as a veteran wide receiver before all the massive cutdowns happened. So uh, I don't, I'm not saying that that was the number one reason why they did it, but getting him out of there early gave him an opportunity to get another job. And now Demarcus Robinson is going to be in Baltimore. Actually, I was kind of surprised. I thought he was going to end up back in Kansas City after we found out about McCole Hardman and him getting uh, banged up in practice. But – uh, long story short, he didn't get as hurt as most people thought uh, it, what it initially sounded like. It sounded like it was going to be a really bad injury, but it ends up being like a little bit of a groin injury, and I think he's going to end up being okay. So there you go. Demarcus Robinson is now in Baltimore with the Ravens. Let's go out to the phone lines at 702-365-9200. Let's talk to our guy, Gangster Raider. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, my man? Yeah, um, first of all, I want to say what's up to the whole Raider Nation and answer your question. I think the biggest story – so far through training camp, and the biggest story for the uh, season is going to be Derek Carr finally coming into his own because he, he got the weapons finally that he needs. And he, more than that, he finally got a coach that I think is going to unlock him and make him a record-breaking um, quarterback. You know, so I think he's going to break a few records. He might even break Tom Brady's touchdown record. You know what I'm saying? And also remember when LeBron used to bite his nails, you know, when he first got into the, um, the league, he used to bite his nails a lot. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and once he got over that, he started winning championships. To me, this is um, Darius Carr year when he stopped biting his nails like LeBron used to do because he didn't seem like he stopped caring what people think in the media. When people say something, he's like he got like a quiet confidence, like yeah, okay, I'm gonna show you. You know what I mean? And I think it's gonna um, unlock him, and he's gonna go on to win MVP and win me my four Gs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> also to answer, and also. Yes. Also, to answer your question about yesterday, I think it was yesterday, one of these days I was trying to call in, but I couldn't get through. I think you asked about the uh, interceptions and who would lead the interceptions. Yeah. Yep. I think we're going to have 20 interceptions, and the leader is going to surprise you. I think the leader in interceptions is going to be Abram with six. I think Jonathan Abram is going to get six because everybody's going to try to pick on him. You know what I'm saying? Once he gets them first three or four interceptions, it's going to um, fall back a little bit, but then they're going to try him again thinking it was just a fluke. And he's going to lead our team with six interceptions. Him and uh, another player going to have at least six. And I think we're going to total 20 interceptions. And um, did you get my Cliff shirt for me? You know what I'm saying? Keep keep a gangster, y'all. I'm gone. Gotcha, gotcha. Didn't get a Cliff shirt, but got a Cliff Branch pillow. Uh, I'm serious. A really cool pillow from the party. That's better than a Cliff Branch shirt because you can't buy this. This was actually came from the party uh, that Mark Davis threw for Cliff Branch following the Hall of Fame performance and the Hall of Fame just whole party and everything. It was awesome. Uh, at the end of the night, they said here here you go, you know, and so they, they let us take them, and so there's a few of them, so I definitely have one. So next time you're in town, I got you. I got you covered. Cliff, Cliff Branch pillow. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I thought I tweeted out a picture of it. It says speed kills on one side, and it says uh, Branch 21 on the other side. So there you go. Were there any other gifts from this party? Um, apparently there were some bags that were given out, but I didn't get one. I, uh, I didn't get there in time to get a bag, but from what I've been told they, they were really cool gift bags. So, uh, Mark Davis, he spared no expense when it came to this party and celebration for Cliff Branch. I mean, he was, he went all the way in. I mean, the hotel itself was all the way Cliff branched out. Every single thing in that hotel was all about Cliff Branch. And, uh, you know, at this, uh, this country club that the party was at, it was just it was it was next level. I mean, look, man, you have Diana Ross perform. That's all you need to know, right? You can have Ti perform. You can have Justin Timberlake perform. You have Diana Ross perform. That's just next level, right? I mean, that's just all you got to do is say 
hey, Diana Ross is uh, performing here. And it's like, oh, my. You know what I mean? Like, that's just – that's next level. There's, there's, there's not too many others that, that I'm going to lose my blank over. But Diana Ross was awesome. She was amazing. And it's so funny. When we got to the party, we were walking in, and um, the people at the, at the door that were checking to make sure, you know, that you were good to get in, they're like, oh, you got here just in time. Diana Ross is about to perform. And I was like, yep, beeline. Beeline to the bar, beeline to the back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was front door to the bar to the back, just like that, in that exact order. Because, man, when Diana Ross was out there performing, it's all eyes on her. And it's so funny. I'm trying to take video of it and try to take picture. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to. You know what I mean? When you're looking at your phone to make sure that you're, you're recording the right way, I was like, I don't want to look at my phone. I just want to watch her. So I took a couple quick videos, and I was like, man, the hell with this. I don't care. I got it. I got this stuck in my memory bank. I don't need to worry about uh, a video. So I took a little quick video, sent it to the wife. It was like, you wouldn't believe Diana Russell's performance. She's like, oh, my God. So it was it was pretty amazing. So uh, thank you so much for that uh, that call, Gangster Raider. Appreciate you. I uh, got a text here from Raider G-Baby. He said, I met Marcel Reese in Vegas last season in the casino the night before a game. I could tell he was busy, but I let him know I was a Raider fan and appreciated his time with us on the field and the work he's doing behind the scenes. He's much bigger than I thought he was. Great, great athlete for the Raiders during a rough time. Can you imagine the damage he would do if he was playing for us today in his prime? That's Raider G, baby. Yeah, he was he was Alec Ingold before Alec Ingold, right? I mean, Alec Ingold was a very athletic fullback that could do a lot of good things, and Marcel Reese was that and then some. I mean, he was really he was the Raiders' best weapon for the longest time. He was the guy that everyone said, man, get Marcel Reese the ball somehow. Throw it to him. Let him run the rock. I mean, when the fullback was the best weapon on the team, that lets you know that the team, one, was struggling when it came to talent, but just lets you know how good he was. Because, man, he, he was that guy. And every Raider fan, give the ball to 45. Give the ball to 45. Because we all knew that if he had the ball in his hand, if, if he was running a wheel route, if he was running some kind of – he was a, like a mismatch. Uh, he was a nightmare, a mismatch nightmare for, di- for opposing defenses because he was that athletic. And then when I think uh, – who was it? Darren McFadden or one of the running backs or a couple of the running backs got injured, it was basically like the Marcel Reese show. You know, he's going he's gonna to run the rock. He's going to run the rock. He's got to keep – you know, you got to keep feeding him as a running back. So uh, he basically would do anything. If you had said – Hey, uh, we need Marcel Reese to play right tackle. He would have he gone out there and done his damnedest, right? I'm not saying he would have succeeded because obviously he's not offensive lineman, but there was no job out there that you could ask Marcel Reese to do that he wouldn't uh, do, you know, and, and do it to the best of his ability. I mean, he, he was definitely a fan favorite uh, when he was playing, man. He was, he was fun. And so to be still part of the organization and be able to see him around town all the time and, you know, just a humble, humble dude, I, I think that that's, that makes it even that much better. Uh, obviously, he has a lot of love for the silver and black. 356 is the time. Thank you so much for that text. I appreciate you. Feel free to hit us up as well at 69187, keyword R&R. Let us know about a storyline from camp so far that, you know, you think is the best. What have you seen or heard that makes you feel good about the team? Coming up, when we kick off hour number three, you'll hear from Jermaine Illuminor as he met with the media yesterday. You'll hear that press conference next here on Radio Nation Radio 920.